Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Balanced Black Girl. I have been on a bit of a summer vacation, just taking some time to rest and recharge, and it has been so lovely, and I appreciate just the love and the kind messages from you all while I take some time off. We're not quite at the point where we're bringing you new episodes yet. However, we are working on it. Very excited for what's coming up. But in the meantime, we're going to wake things back up a bit, and I wanted to share some of my favorite Rewind episodes, specifically from other podcasts that I've had the opportunity to be a guest on, to share some of my favorites with you until we start sharing new episodes again soon. And I'm really, really excited to share today's episode, which is a Rewind from the That Wasn't In My Textbook podcast. And this episode is all about the history of self-care. Now that wasn't in my textbook is an incredible history podcast hosted by Toya Coleman, who has also been a guest on this podcast a few years ago. Toya is just phenomenal. She is an incredible historian, wonderful content creator. Her content is top notch. It is just so inviting and warm and informational. She was actually one of the very first people I met when I first moved to LA years ago. And she is just such an incredible human. And I'm really, really excited to get to share a bit of her podcast with you today. So a few years ago, she invited me on her show to talk more about the history of self-care and learning more about what self-care truly is and where self-care came from was just such an inspiring conversation. Conversation. And it's something that I refer back to often if I'm ever kind of out of my habits or not taking the best care of myself, reminding myself where it came from and why it's important to do. It always just motivates me and gets me back into it. And I thought that this conversation would be perfect to revisit this time of year because fall is coming. This is the time of year where we're planting seeds and starting to get back in touch with our habits at the end of summer. And so I wanted to share this conversation with you. And Toya was lovely and nice enough to let me reshare the conversation here. So if you like this conversation, please make sure that you subscribe to the That Wasn't In My Textbook podcast, where Toya shares incredible episodes about the history of all sorts of things that we had no idea had roots in black 
history. So let's get into the episode. Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, the bi-weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to Season 2, Episode 5 on the History of Self-Care, A Revolutionary Act. Friday, folks. Today, we're talking about something that is so necessary. You probably hear this term multiple times a day. You see it pop up on your newsfeed on hashtag self-care Sunday. I think it's safe to say that self-care is on the rise. And with self-care being one of the most popular Google terms of 2016, Today, we're going to explore where did this popularity come from, was self-care always a thing, and who made self-care possible for all of us. We're going to get into all of that today, and we are joined by our special guest, Les Alfred, the Balanced Black Girl, an online wellness platform for black women. Les is actually a friend of mine, so I'm really excited to have her join me. We met in real life. She's the founder of an online wellness community and podcast that focuses on health, wellness, self-care from the perspectives of black women. And so I met Les maybe two years ago at an HBO event out here, BC, before COVID. You know, back in the day when you could see someone's whole face, there was no face mask. Well, Les and I stayed in touch and I actually went on her podcast last year for Black History Month. And now I have a podcast and today she's joining me to talk all about balance, wellness, also known as self-care and Let me tell y'all folks, she is so balanced, y'all. You can actually hear it in her voice. It's quite lovely. You know, there's peace in her voice. So make sure you stick around for the interview. Now, I know some of y'all might be listening and thinking like self-care, that's really what we're talking about today. And yes, it is. It's because while the self-care that we see today on the gram seems to simply consist of only facials and bubble baths, self-care has deep roots in a radical history that definitely wasn't in our textbooks. Self-care is now a trillion, let me say that again, Self-care is now a trillion dollar industry. I don't know how many zeros that is. I know that's a lot of zeros. It's a trillion dollar industry encompassing everything from spa days to scented candles to yoga to Reiki, all that stuff. But this modern, popular, commercial world of wellness is only a tiny, a little tiny part of the self-care history that we're going to talk about today. Now, before we jump into the show, if you're a new listener here, welcome to the dopest, funniest, rawest history podcast out there. And if you're a day one Welcome back and thank you for continuing to help grow this dope community of everyday people who like history. 
And as you've probably heard me say already, today we're talking about the revolutionary act and radical history of self-care with Les from Balanced Black Girl Podcast and Platform. And in this episode, we find out why the term self-care was coined in the 1950s. We uncover the connection between self-care and the woman of the civil rights movement and the Black Panther Party. Of course, the episode also has a segment where we learn about Les and the wellness platform and podcast she has created for Black women. And then we also talk about the ugly parts of self-care because self-care ain't always pretty, okay? And we also highlight some self-care tips and tricks and so much more. So make sure you stick around and listen to this episode. Now, I thought self-care was perfect for the timing and the place that we are in as a society. And I can think of two reasons why I feel like Now is the perfect time to uncover the revolutionary history of self-care. The first reason why now we should be talking about self-care is just that like 2020 and some would probably argue 2021 was definitely hands down, undoubtedly dead ass the year of self-care. And like if you think about it, it's kind of like, duh, of course it was. I mean, you have to care for yourself when you're dealing with a pandemic, a presidential election, a crashing economy, witnessing murders, black folks at the hands of the police, fighting racism, trying to stop Asian hate. I mean, the list can go on and on. And I think you get my point. So, of course, the year of 2020 was the year of motherfucking self-care because, damn, did you hear all those things that I listed? That's some heavy stuff to be dealing with and so when self-care came on the scene in 2020 it was positioned as self-care is needed for our survival it came across that in order for us to take care of others and to fight oppression and racism and keep the good fight going we need to do something for ourselves. We need to recharge. We need to unplug or read a book or give ourselves a facial maybe, you know, maybe even take that bubble bath. So, of course, we're going to talk about the history of self-care in the year of self-care. The second reason why it's so important that we uncover the radical history of self-care is to figure out how to take care of ourselves and to carve out time for me, especially now coming off the heels of the trial of the murder of George Floyd, which the police officer was found guilty. Thank goodness. And then following the murders of two teenagers, Adam Toledo and Makia Bryant, you know, and these mass shootings also that have been going on. There's a lot of heavy, deep shit going on right now. And so self-care can be a therapeutic outlet to help us recharge and unplug from all of this. And so it's really a form of resistance and a form of fighting being burnt out. And so that's the second reason why I think it's so important that we talk about self-care and we uncover the roots of self-care which will help us have a more informed influenced and inspired self-care practices and so as always the first 10 minutes of the podcast I will provide you with some history and the last 30 minutes 
will consist of the interview with today's lovely guests. So let's get into the history portion of self-care. And as usual, we always start with the definition. And so according to Webster, I do that every time. It feels like when I say Webster, I should have some type of accent. Self-care is care for oneself. Another definition is healthcare provided by oneself, often without the consultation of a medical professional. The act of attending to one's physical or mental health, generally without medical or other professional consultation. The products or practices used to comfort or soothe oneself. That last one. I like that last definition the most. I'm going to repeat that. (laughs) The products or practices used to comfort or soothe oneself. And the great thing about self-care is that self part, right? As the definition states, caring one caring for oneself, comforting or soothing oneself. So it's whatever works for yourself, right? Which works for you. Now that we've defined it, we can start looking at where it came from, like Did someone make up the term? And in fact, self-care was a term that was coined in the 1950s and it was originally caught on as a medical concept. So at first, doctors were prescribing self-care to patients and particularly like elderly and mentally ill patients as a way to cultivate some self-worth through the acts of self-care and preservation. So doctors started using it as a way for patients to treat themselves exercise healthy habits, most often not under a guidance of a health professional. So then a couple of years after the term was coined in the 1950s, oh, academics started using it as a way for post-traumatic stress and to help people who have these high-risk, emotionally draining, exhausting AF jobs. So think about people like trauma therapists, social workers, Shout out to the social workers because my mom is social workers, people who are EMTs. So doctors were prescribing these people with these high risk jobs to indulge in self-care to counteract the stress. And so this form of self-care was under the principle that you can't do a good job and take care of others and take on other people's shit without taking care of yourself first it's that whole airplane crash analogy that you have to put on your oxygen mask first before you can help someone else yeah so self-care was reading for pleasure or taking those vacation days stuff like that and this form of self-care was not just about the physical it was about the mental and the emotional So fast forward from those 1950s and we jump into the 1960s and the 70s with the Black Panther Party. And this is where we start to see self-care becoming more popularized and politicized by the women in particular of the Black Panther Party. And so trailblazers and former Black Panther leaders like Angela Davis and Erica Huggings adopted self-care and like mindfulness techniques and movement arts like yoga and meditation while they were incarcerated. And when they got out following their release, they began to talk within the party and within the movement about the power of proper nutrition and daily movement to increase one's mental health, right? But while they're navigating racism, sexisms, all the isms. And so these women 
really started to talk about that, to champion the importance of self-care. And then they started creating wellness programs for both adults and children in recreational centers across the country. And so you start to see that the Black Panther Party has like community clinics and health programs like the Breakfast Club that fed children before school and they had food distribution, things going on and programs about education and sharing accessibility information with others. And so self-care was created on this idea that individuals and communities needed to be involved in their own health and to preserve the health of the black body. And so in this sense, this is when we see self-care as a form of a revolutionary act, a political act, because it's pretty much saying that Western medicine and practices that oftentimes are racist and sexist towards women, especially around women's reproductive rights, I don't even know what I'm saying. And so, so and this is where we see self-care being politicized and everything. And it was created on the idea that self-care is about individual and community involvement in their own health and preserving the black bodies. And so self-care was a form of, of a political act because it was pretty much saying that Western medicines and practices that oftentimes is racist and sexist towards women, especially around reproductive rights. We don't really fuck with that. That's what they were saying. Like we're trying to preserve ourselves and redefine health for ourselves and preserve our black bodies through the fight of, you know, civil rights. And it was a nice holistic approach of saying we're going to take health and our life into our own hands and be more holistic in this approach. And so this community wide effort and ideology of self-preservation really put self-care on the map and it started getting popping and changing the narrative about caring for oneself. And so the Black Party used self-care as a political act, but they also used it as a way to combat activist burnout. And so within the Black Panther Party, you start to see activists around this time being encouraged to take care of themselves in terms of what they eat, their mental self, their cultural self, their spiritual self, all levels of the self for the self-care. And this was under the belief that in order to be fully present in the movement, in order to fight the good fight, you have to take care of yourself spiritually and emotionally, all the Ali's, um, in order to be a part of the movement and to sustain that energy in the movement so that you don't burn out. And so this is where we start to see self-care as a political and revolutionary act. Black and brown people started to take care of themselves through self-care, carving out their own holistic space in the health industry so that they didn't have to face discrimination and alienation. And following the civil rights movement of the 60s and the 70s, you see self-care take another shift from political to being a little bit more commercialized and linked to fitness and wellness lifestyles. And so it begins to link this self-care to also being wealthy. And, you know, think about Moms picking children up from schools with those $7 Lululemon leggings. That's that's kind of what we're referring to at the time of how self-care has shifted into like the wellness and fitness space. And so from the 90s 
we move into the 2000s and particularly looking at 9-11. And it's during this time that we start to see healthcare come back into the self-care realm. And it's used as a medical term to help with PTSD as a result of people being a part of one of the most tragic days in American history. And so we see help, wellness, self-care industries start to boom so that self-care changes from a political act to kind of a critical act of survival, a therapeutic act, a luxurious act, all three of those. And so there's this new belief that taking care of your damn self, exercising, eating well, all that good stuff was something that we all needed, especially to deal with the political shit shows and economic brokenness that we're all suffering through. And so some people say the writer and poet and activist, Audre Lorde, was integral in coining self-care, especially in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. Um, And so in the great Audre Lorde's book that she wrote in 1988, a book of essays called A Burst of Light, she says, caring for myself is not self-indulgent. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And this is kind of like a signature quote of self-care that you will hear often. And it's true. Self-care is not self-indulgent. It is whatever you want it to be. And maybe it will be self-indulgent. So forgive me on that one. (laughs) One factor that prompted this renewed interest of self-care that we have today in the black community is the rise in it. In media on the attention of police killings of unarmed black people. Studies have shown that watching these killings on social media can trigger some symptoms of PTSD, especially if the viewer identifies with the victim. So black people watching black people get shot by police officers gives us PTSD for the most part. And so the importance of self-care in the wake of several police shootings and stopping Asian hate and mass shootings as well is on the rise today. And so self-care is on the desire to choose self, to create a safe space and to celebrate joy, black joy, all types of joy. Um, And while it's an act of self-preservation, it's also so much more. Now, the version of self-care we see today is a mixture of kind of like what I was just talking about, having the black joy to create a safe space and protection from the heavy images of today. But then we also have self-care on the other end of the spectrum of bubble baths and facials. Now, there are those of you who will roll your eyes and criticize those engaging in self-care that's a little bit more luxurious and includes, you know, some beauty and skincare. But either way, it's safe to say that self-care is something that is here to stay. And whether we use it as a revolutionary act or just for some pampering for yourself, it's important and it's necessary. Today, self-care is considered a trillion dollar industry. Like I said earlier, with a heavy focus on beauty. But hey, self-care is whatever you want it to be. So whether self-care is political or just about your self-preservation or just means you give yourself a facial on hashtag self-care Sundays, you should definitely be doing it because life can be hard as fuck, especially during the pandemic. Overall, (laughs) what you should walk away with with understanding the radical history of self-care 
is that throughout history, self-care has shifted on how people have viewed it or participated in it over time. It first came on the medical scene in the 1950s as a way for patients to take care of themselves and as people with stressful jobs to take care of themselves so they could serve others. And then we see some other shifts during the civil rights movement when the Black Panther Party, the women in particular, bring self-care and mindfulness to the party as a way for black people to take over our our own health, our own exercise, and also as a way for activists to counteract burnout. And then the last second to last shift that we see with self-care is kind of what we see today, this modern twist of luxury with an emphasis on beauty in the self-care realm. And we also still see self-care as a political act because as we still unfortunately continue to deal with police shooting unarmed black people, murdering them, There are other people who are participating in self-care as a way to recharge and unplug and to practice joy in light of all the heavy shit going on. So that's a quick little summary of how we got from self-care being in the medical field to the self-care that we do today. Now that we have a history on self-care, let's jump into the interview with Les. Hi, Les. Hi, Toya. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to have you. You know, I remember I was a guest on your podcast talking about history. So I'm excited to have you here on my podcast talking about balance and self-care. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So before we even jumped into this interview, I already introduced you, but I would love for you to introduce yourself and just let my listeners know how dope you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. My name is Les. I am a Los Angeles-based wellness content creator and podcaster, former personal trainer and nutrition coach in a previous life. But I fell in love with wellness very early in my adulthood, which I feel grateful for. It was when I was about 20. I started making the correlation between how I treated my body, how much I moved, what I ate, and how I felt. And ever since then, it has just been it's been a habit. It's been second nature. And I could not be more grateful to have discovered wellness at that time. And now more than a decade later, a lot of my wellness practices have changed as I've changed and as life has changed, but it's something that is always kind of my core and my anchor that I always go back to. And I am really honored to be able to share that with other people and through my platform to be able to introduce people to incredible black women in the wellness space who do dope work that they should know about. Yes. And can you tell people about your podcast as well? Yes. So my podcast is called Balance Black Girl, and it is about two and a half years old, which it feels like it's been a lot longer. (laughs) But on Balance Black Girl, I interview Black women health and wellness experts who have various different areas of expertise. I interview doctors. I interview therapists. I interview fitness professionals. I interview dietitians, people of all different backgrounds who can share their expertise from their perspectives of being a black woman. 
Yes. And it's really, really good. Uh, you should definitely check it out if you haven't already. And so one of the signature questions of this show is how do you define self-care slash balance? Because I know you have balance, Black girl. So you can define either one or both for us. Totally. I think the two marry together really well, but the simplest definition I can give is knowing what my needs are in that moment and giving myself what I need. And that can vary so much day to day, hour to hour. Yesterday, I had a lot of energy to burn. And during my lunch break, because I work from home like everybody else during my lunch break, I hopped on my exercise bike and did like a hard workout. And that was dope. Today during my lunch break, I did not have that energy. And I took a nap. I literally set a timer of like, I have to be back at work at this time, took a nap and gave myself what I needed. And I consider both of those things self-care because in that time, those were two things that I needed. So I think knowing how to listen to our minds, knowing how to listen to our bodies and being willing to give ourselves what we need in each moment. That was beautiful. And I think I love that because, you know, it can change from day to day. I love that you said that because I feel like for me it is. And I'm like, wait, am I doing it right? You know, and I think it's really just listening to yourself. It's like, it's not one size fits all. You know what I mean? So it's like you can be doing it right for you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. Another signature question of the show is, did you learn about self-care or balance in school or any of your textbooks? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> although it's funny, I found a book in my house when I was a teenager that, what was it called? It was something like an introduction to Pilates yoga and meditation or something that my dad had bought for himself because my dad is also very into wellness and mindfulness and so many of the things that are like trendy on Instagram now he was doing like back in the 80s I always joke that he's like a balanced black boy like I make that (laughs) joke because I learned so much of this stuff from him and when I was a kid he would take me to like health food stores and teach me about supplements and would like have these resources okay so it was it was kind of normal for me Yeah. yeah And so anyways, he bought this book, I think for himself. (laughs) And when I found it, I was like, oh, it's mine now. And that was when I started going through yoga flows as a teenager. And I started experimenting with meditation and trying the different practices in that book. So I would say that's probably the closest to like a textbook I ever had, but it wasn't, it wasn't from school. It was from home. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think about my early introduction to wellness and like, we talked about this a little bit on your podcast, but I went to like a black Montessori school and they had us like doing meditation Mm -hmm. and yoga flows in the morning. And I didn't really make that connection until now. And I was like, Oh, that's what I was doing. It was just a part of like our morning routine. So I know that's a little outside of the box for most people, but yeah, like in elementary school it was like, we got to meditate before school starts. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it was so making it normal. Exactly. And so I want to go back to your beautiful definition of self-care, because I think a lot of people think self-care, especially if you go on social media, it's like facials and bubble baths. And it definitely can be. Um, But what do you think? What do you have to say again to like some of the naysayers who are just like, what is that? Like, you know, or who are not like fully on board to self-care, which I, I feel like everyone is. But, you know, I think that there's just this perception that's online. And I would love to have your opinion on that. Yeah. You know, I'm for whatever gets people's foot in the door and it sounds bad, 
but a lot of us are motivated by aesthetics. We are motivated by what looks good, what's going to look good to other people, what we think is going to make us look better, right? That's, that's (laughs) what gets us in the door. Even, you know, I worked in fitness for a decade and what got people started on their fitness journey was how they looked. And there's, I mean, I won't even go down the, the rabbit hole of, you know, body shaming and fat phobia that is the fitness industry, but oftentimes that's what gets people in the door. And then once they start doing different things, you know, maybe once they start taking a little bit better care of their skin, they actually realize, oh, what I like about this isn't necessarily what I'm doing to my skin. It's this moment of quiet. It's Mm. focusing on something while I'm taking care of my skin. Or when people get into exercise, maybe they do it because they want to look a certain way, but then they realize, oh, I mentally feel better. So I think sometimes that aesthetic, you know, it can be very easy to, to talk down on it and say, well, it's not important. And it's not right. Like a pedicure isn't going to do for you what going to therapy is, but if it's a gateway to get you to start thinking more about those things, like I'm all for it. And I think because self-care is so individual, um, it can be easy to see those things and to think, oh, that doesn't resonate with me. So I can't do self-care, but I think everybody can create their own definition and have their own practices that work for them. Yeah, I love that you're like a non-judgment self-care, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, you know, they talk about gateway drugs and obviously that's bad, but like, you know, gateway self-care can be good, you know? And I I definitely, like people always ask me sometimes, like, how do you continue to work out even though I do fall off? But I'm like, I try to just focus on how I feel because Mm -hmm. like the vanity stuff for me comes and goes. Of course, that's like a bonus, you know? Like when you see some definition or results, you're like, cool. But I feel like when I focus on like the mental stuff, instead of like obsessing over like how I look, it just, I end up getting results that I wasn't even looking for. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm just, I need to do this. Cause I feel good. Like, you know what I mean? So I like that. Cause it does. I mean, you know, who doesn't like a facial and nice nails, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, like, <laughs> let people enjoy things. I mean, I think sometimes people just get so judgmental. It's like, if someone wants to get a facial, let them get and enjoy their facial. <laughs> Exactly. And especially during these times, you know, we have very limited luxuries, you know, yeah. inside. So let people do what they got to do. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> so one of the things that I uncovered in like doing research about self-care is just like, you know, self-care was one of the most Googled like phrases in 2016. And I think that probably was due to the orange man, you know, the elections and the potential Mm -hmm. of the orange man. But um, in your opinion, what do you think made self-care has made self-care so popular and like kind of resurfaced? Cause I feel like it's, I don't think, I feel like when I think about maybe 10 years ago, I'm like, well, people really into self-care, but now I feel like it's like a really popular thing that I'm excited to see that people are doing because we all need to take care of ourselves. Totally. You know, I think people are realizing that it's necessary. I mean, it's no secret. And especially with the pandemic, it's really coming to the forefront that a lot of the ways we operate and do things in our society aren't sustainable. The way is we expect people to work and always be available. The way we expect people to always be on and continue to do more and not make more money while they're doing it. And all of these systems are just crumbling. And I think that's been the most apparent over the last, you know, five years or so that people are like, hold up. I actually do at some point need to pause and take care of myself in all of this, because there's no way that we can just continue on not recharging. 
Yeah. And I, I definitely feel that I think, you know, different things that have been happening, you know, the election, obviously people were talking about with Trump and I think Mm -hmm. just like, you know, the racial injustice and all that that's been happening has really highlighted that people are like, okay, I want to take control of like, what can I take control of? And like, how can I do that? And that's like, through taking care of yourself, you know? And so I think that's definitely a part of it, like you were saying. And in my research, I also like, surprisingly, but not surprisingly, because it's like, okay, Black women, we do everything. But like, you know, they talked about the history of self-care and how like first, you know, it was like a medical thing. They did it, you know, doctors were kind of just encouraging people like, you know, for a psychological to take care of themselves. And then it became this thing of for people in kind of like stressful jobs, you know, like we think about our frontline workers, they started promoting self-care as a way to be like in order to be good at your job and to take care of others. You know, we think about EMTs and stuff like that. You need to take care of yourself, meaning like, you know, take your vacation time, you know, like, you know, take your sick days. And then it also evolved to this rebellion kind of for black women who, you know, we already know it continues on where like, you know, we have these health disparities and we don't have a lot of the same services. Our, you know, we die giving birth higher than any other group. And so in the sixties, you know, during the black Panther movement and stuff like that, black women use self-care to take control of their health and to not let, you know, the powers that be and the help that be that's really catered towards kind of like, you know, the white body and the white body type to dictate how they took care of themselves. And so they started like the breakfast program and stuff like that. And that was all an effort to take care of themselves, right? It wasn't just the facials and stuff like that, which we support, but it was also about kind of like, I'm going to take back my health. I'm going to figure out what holistic things I want to do and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people don't really know that that's like the root of how we got here, you know? And I'm just like so empowered by that. And I feel like it definitely kind of connects to what you're doing with your podcast because you talk to dietitians, you talk to all different types of Black women who are using self-care, you know, as as a way to take care of themselves, but also as a way to rebel against the system and to take back, you know, their health. Because I think sometimes, you know, we talk about even, I think you've mentioned this before, but like, you know, body types and BMI and how that doesn't really fit all racial groups, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was just like really surprised by that. What have you uncovered, you know, I guess history-wise, if any, in terms of like self-care and how that kind of connects to us as Black women? Yeah, I love this question. I mean, I think even the term self-care was coined by Audre Lorde, right? That so, that yeah. comment, and I'm I don't want to butcher it, but where she said taking care of myself is is an act of political. I don't remember exactly. I'm gonna I'm not I know gonna exactly butcher what it, you're talking about. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. If you Google Audre Lorde self-care, the quote will come up. And you know, she's the one who who coined the term. And I think that there's multiple different angles to look at it because there are a lot of narratives and a lot of very general statements around black women and how we don't take care of ourselves and we're tired and we put everyone else first and we're so run down. And there is so much truth to that. And I also think that there are so many ways that we can think of 
black women practicing self-care in ways that are kind of unconventional. Some of our favorite quotes, some of our favorite things. When we think about, you know, Maxine Walters on the the floor reclaiming yeah. her time, that is an act of self-care. You know yeah. what I mean? When mm -hmm. we think about, and it's like one of my favorite clips, this old video of Eartha Kitt talking about how, you know, she's not going to compromise yes, with a man, like compromise video. for what? Exactly. <laughs> that is an act of self-care, like preserving our time, preserving our energy. I think that there are so many ways that, that we as Black women have done that throughout history. And that is very much in our lineage. And I can probably think of examples of my grandmothers also doing that, you know? And so I think that that is just such a big part of who we are and that's what's in us. And I think what's especially exciting about our generation is not only do we have that, you know, kind of some of that same mentality as our aunties and our grandmothers, but we, so many of us now also have the ability to talk to one another about it, safe spaces to talk to one another about it and resources to make it happen. Resources, not even necessarily money, but just the ability to share information, right? Mm -hmm. We can go on Instagram and see an idea of the of how someone who looks like us is taking care of ourselves with stuff that we have at the house. And we're like, oh, I can do that too. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it can continue growing and expanding from there. And I think that that is so beautiful. And that's just such a big part of who we are. And I'm excited to see that continue in future generations. Yes, I am too. I actually pulled up the quote that you were talking about from Audre Lorde. It says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It's the self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. There we go. Yes. 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 yes, that was deep. I'm gonna give her some snaps for that one. Yes. <laughs> so Les, how do you practice self-care? It changes day by day. I mean, I gave you my example yeah. of, you know, the workout class one day and the nap, Homer Simpson, which yes. <laughs> is what do I was have, earlier today. Any, I guess I guess it'd be like, do you have any favorite practices that you do here and there? Like, you know, not on a daily basis, but like when you're trying to get into self-care, what are some of your favorite things to do? Definitely. You know, I would say my night routine, I like a good morning routine, but I feel like everybody talks about morning routines. And my <laughs> night routine is something that over the past probably like five months or so, I've really kicked up a notch. And now it's like, I can't not. So it reaches a certain point in the night where I'm starting to get ready for bed. I turn off all bright lights. And the only lighting I'll have in my bedroom and in my bathroom are like salt lamps and candles just to make it easy for myself to start to like wind down. So I don't have bright light. I'll turn on my favorite music. It's usually going to be some slow jams. That's when I'll take a shower. I will just like really cleanse off the energy of the day. That's why I like to shower at night. Cause I like to think of myself as cleansing off the energy of the day, cleansing off other people's problems, just all of that. I'm just all completely it. washing it off. I'm taking care of my skin slowly and mindfully. I'm crawling into bed. Like I can still smell my candles and I'm doing all of these basic things, but I'm doing them intentionally and I'm doing them to symbolize something. And that has just been such a game changer for me. Like I've slept so much better and feel so much more rested. Um, I've also started getting just really cognizant of how I spend my time. And I've had to, I've not had to, I have chosen to start just saying no to things more that previously I wouldn't have said no to or not right now. 
And that is hard at first because we don't want to let people down. We don't want to disappoint people. We don't want people to think that we're acting funny or any type of way, but sometimes it is just necessary. And I had to get super clear on what my goals were in this moment, Mm -hmm. my goals for myself personally, my goals in my business. And one of my goals is to just have more blank space, have Mm -hmm. more hours in my day that are not accounted for where I don't have to do anything like that is a goal for myself. And so if there's something that tries to encroach on that and doesn't support what my overarching goal is maybe for my business or for my career, I'm not giving up my blank space for it. I'm just not. And so I would say those have been like two of the biggest ways that I've been practicing self-care. I love that because I think a lot of people focus on like Shonda Rhimes book, A Year of Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, ooh, a year of no. That is something that I definitely- I've had a decade of yes. And I had to (laughs) reel it in. Yes. I I really think that that's powerful because, you know, self-care is also setting boundaries, you know, and saying like, this is not something I can do right now and communicating that to someone and not feeling guilty about it. I think that's the thing that I always struggle with is like the guilt, you know, and I like talk about my therapist and she's like, you have to like, if you say no, like then that's it, then you move on, you know? And I'm like, yeah. oh no, I said no. I wonder what they think. Oh my goodness, you know? And it's like, you got to just release it. So I love that you say focusing on no, because I think people are always talking about saying yes to everything and self-care is also creating boundaries. So I do think that that's a beautiful thing. And if someone wanted to, well, actually, before we even talk about that, because you kind of hinted to this and I like, I know you a little bit personally, (laughs) because you're like saying that you're saying no. And I know you just got off of a month long social media break. Right. And you did that in February, which was intentional on your part, Mm -hmm. because you were just like, I am not going, you're not going to use my blackness for your black history month clout. So I'm going to take my month off in February. Can you tell us about that month off and how you got to that point of being like, I'm going to use February and then kind of what you, how that month was. Cause for a millennial to be off of social media for a month, that feels (laughs) feels like six months, you know, to us. It, so- it sounds like such a big deal. And I'm sure it probably was maybe hard in the beginning. And then I don't know how it was at the end, but you know, can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I had reached kind of the end of December, beginning of January, I was definitely dealing with some pretty aggressive burnout. I just, I had a lot going on. I have my podcast, I have my platforms. I had, I also do quite a bit of like influencer work, which is Mm -hmm. what funds my business and generates the revenue in my business to keep the podcast and everything going. And I was so fortunate that I had booked a lot of brand campaigns that went live in December and January. So I was creating a lot of content. I was moving into a new place. It was just, it was a lot. And I could see looking forward to February that things, it had gotten to the point where it was like, I'm in early January and I'm either going to start booking next month or I see an opening where I can pause and where I can take a break. And I just moved to my new apartment. All I wanted to do was just get settled and like chill. And I saw the opening and I just took it. I was like, I'm just going to do it. And, um, I had definitely gotten a lot of kind of messages, emails from brands and things at kind of the last minute wanting to do Black History Month campaigns Mm -hmm. and all of these things. And I was like, 
especially after what we experienced last summer, you know, I think a lot of brands were really hopping on that, but I was just like, well, my brand is always about blackness. My podcast is called Balanced Black Girl every month of the year. 365, <laughs> 24-7. That's the whole thing. That's what it's all about. And it's always that way. And so if you are only interested in my work because February is coming up and you're also asking me to do something January 31st to go live February 1st, which means it was also an afterthought, mm-hmm. which yeah. have you learned nothing? Exactly. Um, like, no, that's just that's just not my thing. And I, I also thought a lot about people in my life and women in my life and how much they didn't rest and how much I just wanted to, to rest and, and give myself some time to recharge. And honestly, it was great. I mean, I almost kind of regret doing it in February because it's such a short month. I actually think about that Bobby and Whitney clip where they're like, we need a longer month. (laughs) That was how I felt for my social media break. Yeah. (laughs) I need a longer month. 28 days wasn't enough. I need a longer month. Uh, Black history year. I I think is what Bobby Brown said in that clip. But um, yeah, honestly, it was good. It was so refreshing. It was it was just so needed. And I think it is something it, it made me change and shift the way that I work. It's helping me change and shift the way that I approach my podcast and the way that I approach content creation and just being a lot more smart about it. It helped me realize too, and this is very easy to do as a creator. I would spend a lot of time scrolling on Instagram, doing nothing and calling it working and feeling like, oh, I'm so busy. I work all the time. And it's like, no, you don't. You're scrolling Instagram <laughs> all the time. But the amount of time I spent scrolling versus the amount of time I spent creating were very different. And I realized, well, if I just simply focus on creating and being intentional about that and not consuming other people's content so much, I actually have a lot of time to rest and take care of myself and do other things. And just made me want to do that more. Yes. I am inspired by that. I take like weekly breaks. I'll take like a Sunday off or something, but I'm like, I need to take weeks off. So I'm really inspired by that. And I also find that when I do take my breaks, when I come back, I am more creative because I'm not busy Mm -hmm. consuming people's stuff. Like you were just saying, like, I feel like sometimes you consume so much of other people's stuff that you're not inspired. You don't really like your creative juices are not just like flowing. And I feel like when I cut off and even when I just start reading other things and picking up a book, I'm like, oh, look, I have a great caption idea. You know, it's just like when I log off, I can, I'm able to like be, like you said, like more intentional and even more creative because I'm not just like, oh, look what this person did. Hmm, what should I do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so necessary. And also too, I think as creators, it can be very tempting to be like, oh my gosh, if I take time away, like people are going to forget about me. I'm going to lose followers. And I don't know what happened or who mentioned me when I was gone, but I came back to like 800 more followers. Like, I don't know. I came back to a (laughs) bunch of followers, which probably for black history month, people were like tagging black people. I think that's what happened. I don't know, (laughs) but it just goes to show that like that scarcity mentality that we can sometimes have that leads us to feel like we always need to be on isn't the case. Like I took a break on social media, didn't post anything. It came back to more followers, still had invoices come through and was still making money. And I was still able to like rest and take care of myself. So we don't have to always be on to receive. And I think once we start believing that that's when it can come to fruition. That is a quotable right there. We don't always have to be on to receive. That might be the name of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so my last two questions are, if someone is new into self-care, they're like working hard, maybe feeling burnt out, what are, what's your advice to get them started? Like how should they get into the self-care realm for themselves? <laughs> yeah, I think for people who are just getting started, I mean, there are parts of self-care that don't feel good. There are some parts of self-care that are ugly, right? Mm-hmm. When you're going to the dentist, that's a necessary act of self-care that that like nobody likes or when you're in therapy ugly crying that's not part of their or of self-care that people like however I think if you are just getting into it and just getting into prioritizing it you kind of should start with the things that feel good so that yeah. you want to continue <laughs> doing it like mm-hmm. maybe don't have your first act of self-care be go to therapy if you've haven't gone in a long time you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. like Yeah. Start doing, start by doing things that are going to just make you feel good. And honestly, some of the best acts of self-care that I think we forget about as adults is just doing things that we enjoy. Like, what did you like as a kid? Did you Mm -hmm. like just being outside and roaming and being free? Then go take a walk in your neighborhood. Did you like doing art? Get an adult coloring book. Like, what are those things at your core that you truly enjoy that just make you feel good and do more of that? And then let that momentum kind of continue as you build up your self-care yeah Yeah. I love that you talked about the ugly parts of self-care because we see the pretty parts a lot but yeah like the dentist I I like agonize you would think I was like seven years old when I had to go to the dentist I just hate it and then you know yeah therapy like therapy is a process you know you're like shedding a lot of emotions and it can feel ugly and it can be hard and you could be like I haven't had moments where I'm like why am I I don't want to talk about my feelings today why am I doing this you know and then I have moments where I'm like oh I feel so enlightened so I love that you're talking about the ugly parts of self-care because we don't really talk about that right and we don't really see that online because you can't really take a picture of that or you don't want to (laughs) and then sometimes too when people do it's kind of disingenuous it's kind Mm -hmm. of like I don't know. There's just a fine line. There is, there is, (laughs) there is a fine line. Well, thank you so much, Les. Before I ask you the signature question of the show, the main question of the episode, I wanted you to just, you know, tell people where they can find you, how they can support you, how they can join your community of self-care and all that stuff. And then I'll just ask you the last question of the show. Definitely. So you can find me, uh, my podcast is Balanced Black Girl. We have new episodes that drop on Tuesdays where I do interviews with Black women wellness experts, as I shared. And then I also do quite a few solo episodes sharing my expertise in the area. I'm also on Instagram at Balanced Less is my account and at Balanced Black Girl Podcast is a podcast account. We also do have our membership community where I have workshops with women who have been on the podcast. I have guided meditations, journaling sessions, book club, a supportive community, which is amazing. So if you go to our Instagram bio, you can find all the information for that there. Um, Yeah, I would say those are those are the big ones. All all you folks out there listening should definitely go follow her and support her. Her work is so powerful. So authentic. Um, authentic. That's the word I was looking for. And just inspiring also just to see, because you share a lot about who you are, your journeys, your ups and downs. And I just really, really appreciate that. So our last question of the show is, if you had an opportunity to write a chapter in a textbook on self-care and balance, 
what would you call the chapter and why? Mm, I would call that chapter, listen to yourself. Because I think for a lot of people, we are taught to not listen to and be in tune with ourselves. I think for women, we're very much taught to not be in tune with our bodies and to manipulate and change our bodies and not listen to the signs that our body is telling us about what it wants and what it needs. And I think for a lot of men, unfortunately, they are taught to not be in touch with their emotions and to not listen to how they feel and to not express them in a healthy way. And I I think everybody of any gender can identify with bits and pieces of that. I'm making kind of general statements, which I try to avoid, but whatever I already, I just did. (laughs) Yes. And so I think it's super important for everybody to understand how to listen to yourself, how to listen to yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. Because if you don't, if you don't know what you need, you can't give yourself what you need. And that is what self-care is. Yes, that was beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Les. I enjoyed our conversation. I learned so much and I can't wait till our listeners can learn from you. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That is the conclusion of episode five on the history of self-care, a revolutionary act with Les Alfred of Balanced Black Girl. Now, I learned so much about self-care from this episode. When I initially looked it up, I had no idea that it had deep roots in the Black Panther Party and particularly the women of the group kind of bringing in this mindfulness and wellness into the space, into the civil rights space. So I learned so much. I hope you learned something as well. If you did, please reach out to me on any social media platform. Let me know what you learned. And yeah, we are in April. The next episode will be not this Friday, but the next Friday, which is May 7th. I can't believe we're in May time is flying. I know I say that every episode, but it really is. Yeah, this year is flying. I would guess for most folks in this world, the last one or two years have been the hardest, whether it's been financially, emotionally, physically, whatever Ali you're managing right now. So I hope you indulge in some self-care. I hope this episode inspires you to indulge in self-care, whatever that means for you. And As Les and I just discussed, self-care can be ugly and it can be hard. It can be luxurious. It can be whatever you want. Ultimately, self-care is yours to find. And so with so much going on in this world, so much heavy, heartbreaking shit, you got to do it. You better be doing self-care. You hear me? Um, So if you're listening right now, make sure after you turn off this podcast, you do one thing for yourself, like take a nap, read a book, promise me, okay? Just do something for yourself. Is that that okay? Okay, cool. Good. Now, thank you so much for tuning in to this new season. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you share on social media. Make sure you leave a review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Don't forget to come back on Friday the 7th. Make sure you're following. That wasn't in my textbook all over the interwebs. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, remember, knowledge is power.